Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 77, Replicas from 2019. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. Or am I a replica? Oh boy. And with us today, we have a very special guest. We don't have a lot of new Keanu movies and a lot of new Keanu episodes. He's not like Cage, Mike. I think we made a big deal when Siberia finally came out, right? We're like, oh, this is, it's been a year almost since, since To the Bone, and now we have Siberia. But with us today to talk about Replicas, a movie that you and I have both seen twice, and I think our guest has seen more than once, which again feels too many times. I like a lot, yeah. Honestly. We have from the Fancy Film Fellows podcast, Mr. Patrick Williams. Hello, Patrick. Hey, how are you guys doing? Very well. Thank you for joining us for this movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. How many times have you seen this movie, I guess, is the, is the first question. I don't want to put too much bias on this, but how many times have you seen this movie, and do you like this movie? Um, I've seen it now, I think, like one and a half times. Okay. I do, I do enjoy this movie, actually. I, I find its ridiculousness very uh, charming. So I think this, this was a movie, and before we get too far into it, we, I want to sort of get some uh, Keanu backstory out of the way with, with, with you and our, our listeners, but this was a movie that like got such terrible reviews and was like mocked relentlessly by critics, and then I went to the theaters and I was like, it's not good, but it's not that bad. I went to the theaters too, Joey. Like, I couldn't believe we made it to theaters i can't believe this movie made it to theaters and then i can't believe i got there before it was out of theaters in like the nine days that it lasted but yeah my theater had like maybe 20 people i think like there was 18 by the end of it but i was alone to see it um because no one else wanted to see i think it was the last night it was in theaters so i saw like the last maybe the very last showing in new jersey i don't know before we get into the movie patrick why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with keanu reeves obviously we've seen all of his movies for this podcast but do you have a favorite what was the first one you saw you know give us your your sort of history with mr keanu reeves it's weird i i think there was a time in my life where i was on that sort of like blanket internet Oh, Keanu is a bad actor train. But at a certain point in my life, I realized that that was dumb and he's actually a good actor because I enjoyed watching him. I don't know what objective standard of acting I was holding him to, but I don't know, probably like Point Break might be my favorite. I, cool. I do have a cat. Yeah, I do have a cat named Johnny Utah. So oh, uh, oh, nice. I have, <laughs> yeah, me and my roommate Ruben are, are both big Keanu heads. And uh, I don't know what the first thing I loved him in was probably Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure if I had to. To, like really give you a definite answer okay well i like that those are those are two good movies so you had a, a podcast called loose cannons which ran for 200 episodes or so and then you started the new one fancy film fellows it's the same hosts right it's just a different show yeah yeah we're doing more of a variety show now have you guys covered uh, any keanu movies on your podcast yeah i don't think we did any actually on the podcast proper because it was sort of like a like one movie review show but then we also did a bunch of podcasts where we would canonize a bunch of different movies okay so i know we canonized a bunch of movies he was in i know we talked about my own private idaho a lot some of his movies ended up on our year-end lists so i know we talked about destination wedding last year i know everyone on the podcast who has seen knock knock really likes knock knock and that one definitely came up on a year end. that's a very good place to start so the way that i found your little cluster of 
podcasters, the, the, the Loose Cannons, now the Fancy Film Fellows, is because I think one of Ruben's year-end videos was featured in the Letterboxd newsletter or the Letterboxd year-end wrap-up. Yeah. And I'm a big fan. I talk a lot about, too much about, honestly, about David Ehrlich's year-end videos. And so at the end of the year, I will watch as many of these as I can find. And what I loved about the one that you guys did for the Loose Cannons Best of 2018 was that not only was it well-edited, which is... I think a lot of them were well edited, but you guys had just such weird, cool, like unexpected picks, like movies that showed up on no other best of list. And I didn't love all of them, but I loved like the ones like some surprised me. And I was like, oh, shit, like these guys, for the most part, you know, have tastes like me and like, you know, me and Mike and everything. And I was just I was hooked. And then I watched, I think Ruben had like four videos, like his top hundred movies of all time. And yeah. like Knock Knock is wildly high on that list. And I was like, these guys have weird, wonderful taste, and I want to talk to them about movies because they like good stuff. Ruben is really prolific, actually, with the the videos, and he's. I think that list that you're referring to was a. Uh, I think it was the hundred best movies of the 2010s or the 20 like the 2000s or whatever the 21st century. Yeah, we're a we're a very pro Eli Roth podcast. I think that's what it boils down to. Um, we we believe that his movies are firmly in the satire genre where, you know, a lot of people take them at face value and they're like, oh, he's, you know, some sort of weird conservative. But we're pretty convinced that he's making fun of conservatives uh, <laughs> in all of those movies, which was why I think all of us loved Death Wish last year. Yeah, Death Wish, a movie that I'm going to say almost nobody liked, was like in your top five. Like, it felt like yeah. first reformed Black Klansman Death Wish. And I was like, huh, all right, one of these <laughs> feels like it doesn't belong, but maybe it does. <laughs> yeah, we, we were all pretty high on it. And I, I think, like, there is a way that you can watch that movie and be like, yeah, he really, like, is on Bruce Willis's side. But to me, I watch that movie and I'm like, there's no way he thinks Bruce Willis is a cool guy. Like, he's definitely making fun of him in certain instances, like, especially the parts where he's, like, reading his comatose daughter all of these, like, weird conservative books like C.S. Lewis <laughs> and... He's, he's reading like Thomas Friedman or something like that at one point. It's like her college curriculum. All that stuff was just like little, little hints sprinkled through there where you could tell he was like really making fun of this guy. And, you know, of course, the way that the police operate in that movie, too, is just like, oh, yeah, we believe you're, you know, obviously bullshit story because, you know, you're a <laughs> nice white doctor. So <laughs> uh, that's an interesting take. I'm actually going to have to give death wish a try now because we talk a lot about eli roth i feel joey like mm -hmm. as much as like i i have to give his movies another try but i really like him the person and like you know when i see him on tv and interviews and all that kind of thing so um i'm gonna have to give those another watch under a different sort of microscope well so i i remember i watched death wish last year at the end of the year because i had just seen never going back which i absolutely loved um i don't know if you guys saw never going back over on the uh the fancy film fellows but it is great i i didn't get around to that one no um and one of the main girls in that one of the main actresses in that was this girl cammy marone and she plays bruce willis's daughter in death wish i was like oh cool let me see what's, what's going on here and then like 20 minutes in she gets you know the whole narrative of the movie is that like she gets attacked and goes like it gets into a coma and basically isn't in the movie and i was like oh so this movie that's gonna watch for her she's not in so that sort of derailed me a bit but i'm glad you're here i also want to point out that i feel like this movie that we're talking about tonight uh replicas reminds me a lot of knock knock yeah i was getting that same vibe definitely <laughs> so i was trying to go back and i was looking at keanu's movies 
and I was trying to remember what movies he has been a family man in. Obviously, in John Wick, he's married and his wife gets killed, and that sets him off to become John Wick again. In Knock Knock, he has a family that isn't taken away from him, but leaves, and then he kind of loses by the end of the movie. And then there's this movie where he loses his family. But there's not, I don't think there's many movies other than those three that I can think of where he's, and this is something I think we talked a lot about on both Cage Club, kind of, and also Watch the Throne for different reasons. Like, you know, as a, an, as an actress in Hollywood, you're sort of assume that you're going to be the mother, this sort of maternal figure. But with men, it's like, you know, even when Keanu is 55 years old, he's still the leading man, the the sex symbol is not really dad. Yeah. But I just think it's kind of weird that there's, you know, both movies shot in predominantly Spanish-speaking lands. He's a family man and then, you know, loses it from one way or the other and has to deal with the craziness of his new world. And also, I mean, they're both shot on location. One was shot in Chile and one was shot in Puerto Rico. Like, also kind of little maybe mini vacations for Keanu. And I was just like, these movies aren't super similar, but I kept finding more reasons to compare the two. Yeah, I'm I'm the odd man out on fancy film fellows that I haven't actually seen Knock Knock, so I can't speak to it. But this movie did give me, um, I just watched the new Pet Cemetery, and I actually found a lot of weird similarities to that movie in this one as well. Oh, I could see that. I, I haven't seen the new one, but have, being a fan of original Pet Cemetery and stuff, like just the whole bringing them back right is is dead yeah, better yeah. or is you know when you bring yeah, them back yeah. is something gonna happen because they definitely i thought that's where they were going i thought they were gonna be killer clones by the end of this movie <laughs> but that never that never happened but i do i will say like i just love keanu as a father like you know i think this is a good role for him like i think it worked well in knock knock and i think it works here and it just there's just sort of this instant likability about it and he's so gentle and loving mm-hmm. with those kids uh, that i believe he'll do anything to bring them back yeah he has a, definitely has a softness about him that really convinces me that he could be a family man like that i don't think that keanu is the problem with this movie i feel like there's not a lot online from what I've seen, and maybe you guys found stuff that I didn't, but there's not a lot online about why this was such sort of a disastrous kind of final product as as the public views it, but it was shot in 2016, released in January of 2019, where movies go to die. Yeah. If you watch it, I mean, even if you enjoy it as the kind of movie that it is, it feels like there's like five or six half-baked ideas that all sort of jam together in this movie. It feels like at one point, the Alice Eve character was a nurse, probably, but mm-hmm. isn't in this one, or maybe she is and we just don't know, but she's got like this medical knowledge by the end of the movie that just sort of helps save the day. And it feels like there's just a lot of ideas going on. The fact, most importantly, that this is both a movie about brain transfers and also cloning and also robots, and it's like, how how is this all, like, they're tangentially related, but not really? And there's just, there's a lot going on here, guys. I think it's funny you use the term half-baked because you don't want to half-bake your clones or overcook them that's, because they could true. get cancer and die and be <laughs> age over, you know, very quickly and stuff. But you, you nailed it for me right there is like, why do they have the robots and the clones and how come they can't transfer a dying person's consciousness, but Keanu later can transfer his and then there's Robo Keanu and human Keanu like this just way too much happening and if they had stripped away a bunch of it and sort of, you know, combined things here and there, like just have him 
be clones. Like, that's great. Keanu's working on the mind. Middle Ditch is working on the body. But no, there's like all this other shit thrown in there that is just, I can't keep it straight. It kind of feels like there was a script that came to Keanu and then he was like, I kind of like this, but could we like change some things about it? And then, I don't know, like they softened a character in places and like replaced things. And like, I know that he has a screenwriter on this movie that he's worked with on a bunch of other stuff. So maybe it was a script that came from a different source that had some other weird elements to it that they just like chopped out and, you know, replaced stuff. Cause that happens a lot of times when, you know, a script will be out there floating around in Hollywood and then someone will get their hands on it and the original writer won't be consulted when they create the finished product. So on, on the movie, there's, I think, two people credited with the writing credits. There's this guy, Stephen Hamill, who has worked with Keanu a bunch. He did a short film called Echo, Henry's Crime, Siberia, and the upcoming Rally Car. On all of those, he only has the story by. So I think he has this production studio of some kind, and he's just like this mastermind, just sitting behind a desk and being like, what movies can I dream up? And comes up with the story, and then somebody else writes it. So credited, there's him with the story by credit and one screenwriter, but it does feel like a bunch of different writers a bunch of different ideas all things sort of coming together and one another not consulting each other or just trying to make a coherent story but the other thing to keep in mind is that there's a lot happening in this movie and the movie is i think an hour 47 which isn't exceptionally long and there's 11 minutes of credits like this movie is not long to have so many complicated ideas in it. Like, it's kind of wild in that regard. Definitely, and it feels at times like it's dragging, which surprised me, but my favorite parts are definitely between the time, like, when the clones are baking, like, when Keanu is just trying, when everything sort of, all the plates are spinning. That, to me, is, like, the best parts of the movie and stuff. But, wow, that's pretty crazy, because I'm feeling the time here, even though I'm still having fun. Yeah, it may have been down to, like, effects and like budgeting because maybe they shot you know i you said that this was shot in like 2016 so maybe they shot the movie and then had some fall through in the budgeting and couldn't get the effects finished and so they had to like you know shop it around to different effects studios because it, it seems to me like whenever you have a massive list of credits on a movie it's usually people doing special effects it's usually like yeah. those big special effects houses that just credit every single person who who does anything to a pixel of the movie i think the computer stuff like all the hand acting like all of that effects is really good i think that's great i think it looks great yeah yeah but that robot is oh boy. Like, <laughs> whoa like one of the worst things kind of ever like that I think I've seen like at least in the last like 15 years like that well, is Well because rough. I was looking back as Mike when I saw this in theaters like I was saying I saw it alone and so I was kind of giving you like a little bit of a running commentary I think as I was watching it and I said it then and I still think it like I had the same thought tonight iRobot looked better and iRobot came out 15 years ago yeah and that didn't even look all no, that great and iRobot looks like... bad yeah <laughs> it is amazing to me and maybe it's different studios like you know Patrick like you were saying or I don't know I don't know if they ran out of money or what but there's like the robot is doing stuff and like, the, like when the robot runs and when the robot like oh, pushes yeah. people like it like when the motion when the robot is standing still it's weird looking enough <laughs> but when the robot is moving it's like oh my god like it's you know i'm gonna i'm gonna make this reference I, it's the second time on a podcast i've done it recently i don't remember who i did it with last time mike but like the the live from the lake at our college tv station there was this terrible transition where a robot would punch the screen he would come on screen punch the screen and it would cut to the next shot or whatever and like it's that level of just bundled software kind of feel where i don't know how this happens 
Yeah, it's a combination of the design, like the look of it. For some reason, they gave it that weird nose and stuff, and like the wires, and then like the. I it feels like it's unintentional, sort of the stop motion esque movements combined with the sort of like fluidity of high frame rate that it seems to be on opposite like the movie like you know like it seems to be moving at a different frame rate in general and stuff too so it's very hard for my eye to acclimate like what i'm seeing (laughs) yeah i i will say it um it didn't remind me a little bit of uh robocop 2 i don't know if you guys have seen that movie but the stop motion that they use for you know robocop 2 in that like he is like a big, you know, kind of stop motion puppet creation. And it looks really a lot like that kind of almost like a Harryhausen kind of, you know, like movement across the screen. Like they had a big thing. Uh, I don't know that they were like moving by hand almost, but they probably didn't do it that way, but it does move like that. You're right. The the robot has that jerky weird movements. It does. No, that that's a really good call. Yeah. It's got, it's got like a weird kind of not, it's not motion blur. It's like, I guess the stop motion, like, there's no better way to describe it. Like, it looks computer-generated. Like, I think it is computer, but it's like they wanted to recapture that for some reason. But I don't know why you would, because it's not like, I guess the the point of that, the benefit of that or whatever, is that it's all practical when you do it that way. But this, it's, I don't think that there's anything on on screen here or in in, in the studio when they were shooting it. Right, and, like, it worked so well in RoboCop, I think, because, like, of the limitations of special effects technology. And I remember seeing that. And even Ed 209 in RoboCop 1 is a stop motion puppet yeah. and it's just remarkable it's like great and uh here it's just like you know we just live in an age where if you're gonna do stop motion do it traditionally and just be fine like people still do it i think like we reviewed kubo and the two strings for the charlize podcast like there's lots of great stop motion artists out there but you know don't, yeah. I, this feels like it's not done rendering like that seems to be part of the issue here yeah. for me yeah Okay, so very quickly, the movie is about Keanu is a scientist who works with Thomas Middleditch and the boyfriend from Casual. And with, um, with, uh, from Fast Four. Yes, uh, Braga is Braga. his boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And he is trying to move the consciousness from a dead body or a person, living or dead, I guess, into a robot. Because they're a biomedical company, but by the end of the movie, you realize they have military functions in play, and of course, it's all about money and blah, blah, blah. But it goes terribly, terribly wrong because the transference of consciousness works, but he realizes that he's in a robot body and freaks out. Cut home, Keanu and his family are going on vacation, and on the way to vacation, his entire family dies. Car accident, fall into a river, they all die. He calls up Thomas Middleditch, they then save the consciousness, and then Thomas Middleditch, who also apparently can clone people, clones them, and they transfer their consciousness, but there's one small problem, there's not enough pods, and so the youngest daughter is, does not exist anymore. And so Keanu has to go into their brains and delete, he says, it's, it's define search parameters, bracket Zoe, so just searching their brains <laughs> for Zoe and deleting all of that. And then it works, and they are living people, except they think that something's a little bit wrong, and then they... Are are pursued by Braga, and then Braga kind of gets a little bit of comeuppance, but also gets his own happy ending, and the movie ends. My problem with the movie, I think, the the way that I would fix it, not that we necessarily fix things on here, like, you know, like it's real bad, I kind of wish that Keanu had to, like, erase their brains over and over again. Like, he erases Zoe because he can't recreate Zoe, which is fine, but then, you know, they find the bunk beds, and they find her name in the closet or whatever, and I wish it's like, oh, no, like, and he has to go back and like sort of sedate them or whatever like i feel like that could be a kind of a cool 
cool sort of story where he it's like a Twilight Zone episode almost where he's got yeah. this family back but it's never quite right but instead mm-hmm. they just get you know, replanted. Alice finds out almost immediately that she's a robot, that he tells her she's a robot. <laughs> replica. Replica. But there's no yeah. robot parts. Yeah. I feel like for a movie that is so filled with grand ideas, it doesn't take any of its ideas past, like, the first step. Yeah. I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. Like, like you said, like, there's a, this is, a lot of this is, like, pushing my buttons, right, but there's just too much of it. Like, this could be streamlined so easily and well, I feel, like, maybe not by me, but I just feel like, you know, either robot or clone. Like I said earlier, like, if it was just middle ditch, I need, I need you because you're working on the bodies, and, like, you know, you've got that down, but it's Keanu's problem to work on the mind, and then maybe you're right, like, they wake up a couple different times because they're not, they're right personalities or what have you but i was just constantly getting frustrated because i was like wow there's like there's such a better movie in here somewhere and then on the other hand like the other half of the movie feels like a sitcom with keanu and middle ditch half the time like keanu's erasing his kids like or he's talking to his kids like doing their email and texting and playing their the video greatest game. scene in this movie <laughs> my favorite and middle ditch is acting sort of like you know his disgruntled partner like you're never home like where were you i'm doing all this stuff like i know you don't appreciate me so there's sort of like this wild imbalance of tone also um again i found it entertaining and i had fun but i do think that it's a detriment to the film like it could have actually been something much better yeah i i agree with that it, it almost feels like if they had just picked a, an idea out of that bunch and just expanded it further like they would have gotten a lot more mileage out of this because part of me at times wanted the movie to like stop and be like well that's a that's an interesting idea like having to erase a person from your life like maybe you could make the movie about that like having to erase a person like you know just having no choice just having to do that and all of the ethical conundrums and you know things that go along with that like you could have drawn that into a full-length feature film i think and well yeah it is kind of frustrating that it blows past all that though i didn't make the comparison until you were just describing it in the way that you were but like that movie already exists like that's eternal sunshine you know what i mean like the idea of erasing a yeah, person yeah. and the sort of the ethical and moral conundrums and is this something that we should actually be embracing is all addressed kind of beautifully in eternal sunshine there you go right and that's why it doesn't (laughs) even need to be here like don't even explore it in this movie there's enough like either make it the movie or don't even include it because it's not necessary like they only needed to be for family members to begin with they just threw that extra kid in there so that there would be like this crisis for keanu to choose but it doesn't really play out past that very much like it doesn't really matter sure she comes back at the end, they're able to reclone her and stuff, but there's no real impact to that. It doesn't matter when they're being chased by the evil corporation to get the trackers out of their body. It's like we're so far yeah. removed, I feel, at that point from that part of the story. Yeah, it's really interesting that like they put together so many different ideas from so many different movies in this. Like, I think that was uh, David Ehrlich's review. He was like, this is such a hodgepodge of other movies, but... Yeah none of it really sticks and you know i kind of agree with that but i'm also kind of like i don't know i i kind of enjoy the absurdity of just things continuing to pile up too it's <laughs> it's a little weird i mean i do appreciate and this is not a compliment to the movie but it's it's a positive result of the way that the movie is made i think it just feels like there are some there are, there are a handful of like obvious solutions or things that someone should have thought about like a character should have thought about that the movie's like this is a serious thing we need to handle now, and then nobody has answers for it. Like, I don't know why 
we never see it discussed. I don't know, maybe he thought about it, but there was a car accident. They all died. I don't know why you don't pose it to the family that, like, there was a car accident and Zoe died or something. You know what I mean? Like, there's things that you could try. There's, like, other scenarios as opposed to, like, Zoe never existed. Who's Zoe? Like, it feels like that's a crazier endgame to the, the current setup or the current solution. Like, it feels like... Keanu had, you know, logical thing number one, logical thing number two, logical thing number three as options, and then was decided to just go, let's go with the crazy behind door number four. But we don't see him work out the first three options. He's just like, Zoe never existed. I cried about her. I scrubbed her thing off the table. I threw all of her stuffed animals out. Zoe who? But in the end of the movie, he brings Zoe back. Like, it has this happy ending that the movie doesn't earn. Yeah, it's it's a little weird, and I, I tried to kind of reconcile what the overall i mean i don't know that the movie has a coherent message but if i had to you know sort of stamp a coherent message onto the movie on on my own brain i guess is that it kind of feels like it's trying to subvert something about its story and the way that everyone behaves in the end where it's just like oh everybody can get what they want if they just you know uh, pursue this i guess greed of creating a technology and then you know using it for profit in that way and it's <laughs> It's its own weird, weird sort of moral at the end. That's what seems so crazy to me, because I'm thinking the whole time, like, you know, this is just, like, condemning science. Like, not only should <laughs> we not be working with AI and robots, but don't even put human brains in them. And not only that, like, we shouldn't even be cloning and doing this. Like, don't touch any of that, you know? Like, it's all going to be a yeah. nightmare. But then it all works out to be, like, fine. Like, the clones wake up, and sure, they're really hungry, but, like they're not murderous and there's nothing deformed about them and not only that like the brain transference worked perfectly and they know who they are and then like at the end of the movie he works out a deal with Braga his boss who wants to murder him and his whole family Keanu's like let's make a deal I'll give you all the technology to grow new clones and put new brains in them if you let my family go and the guy's like sure okay like everyone gets what they want so like yeah. is science evil i don't know like it worked out at the end it almost feels like it works out too well to me it feels like it's kind of a parody almost but not quite because i don't think this movie is nearly that smart but it almost feels like it's kind of goofing on that that idea just because of how well everything works out like everything's like sunshine and rainbows and then there's like a robo keanu who's running the company and you know he'll never get tired and he'll never not want to boot the mapping sequence and <laughs> which is the, the the greatest final line of the movie ever <laughs> i agree that it feels like sort of a parody of a happy ending because everything works out so perfectly but it also kind of feels like and this is never going to happen because of how poorly this movie did it feels like 90% of like a twist like oh no replicas too what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah. Keanu has a happy family right now you know he's got his own happy ending but like the, the world is gonna be taken over by these replicas and like dun 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 that's not gonna happen but it also it doesn't set itself up to be that like it, it kind of feels like oh we've got you know Braga we've got Robo Keanu and like now they're in this military industrial complex and like setting up this like grander world but it doesn't ever really kind of twist the knife in the way that like a movie that sets up a sequel does you know what I mean like it, mm -hmm. it never actually feels like this is something that we're gonna have to solve in the next movie but it, it almost feels like that yeah, no, it just feels like they went into business. Like, it's like, okay, like, instead of selling this technology to the military like we were gonna, which I think they were gonna put dead, like, soldiers on the battlefield, like, it, they were just dying, put their brain in a robot, and then send them back into the battlefield. Like, that's sort of what they were 
kind of working on, right? It's like a very shady science corporation to begin with, which is why they're yeah. not like in mainland America uh, to begin with, I feel. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, it's like, forget all that. We're going to set up like a new business in like Dubai, I think, by the end of this. And it's like, yeah. they're going to come to us when you're really old, like we'll download your brain and in 17 days, you'll have a new body and you'll be young again. And like, that's your, that's our thing. Like, that's our new business like that's our yeah. store but that's also been other <laughs> movies too and like recently like there was a Johnny Depp movie Transference Transcendence something like that I don't know I also thought of like surrogates with Bruce Willis like 10 years ago where it's yeah, kind of like I that like you that download into like a robot that walks around society for you and stuff but and there's that movie that Ryan Reynolds movie Selfless too which is the same kind of thing oh right? yeah when Ben Kingsley like he puts his brain in Ryan Reynolds younger body yeah not that I want to give this movie the benefit of the doubt, but you have to remember that this was filmed in 2016, so it was probably written in 2015 or 2014 or before that. So a lot of these more recent movies, maybe it predated that. You know what I mean? Like I, Maybe it's not as dated as it seems, but also when it sits on the shelf for two and a half or three years and it comes out in January 2019 and it's, you know, the, the production quality is what it is, it's not earning any of the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I almost feel like the way that they wrote this movie was... The original story writer was like, well, here's a list of possible like ideas for this story and just gave the other screenwriter like a bulleted list of like how the story could be structured and like maybe like questions like ethical conundrums, you know, maybe. And the screenwriter was just like, I'll just put them all in. Just put them all in there. Just uh, <laughs> Just don't edit. Just put them all in. And it almost feels like, yeah, we'll, we'll solve, we'll figure it out later. Like, we'll just put them all in, see what works. And then they're like, oh, no, it's due tomorrow. Uh, here's <laughs> yeah. the script. But like, the, the thing that drives me the, the craziest, and I mentioned it before, and I want to bring it up again because I want to, I want to just, I want to figure out why this happened. Like, Alice Eve's character has no time to have any kind of character traits, right? Like, the movie starts in the lab, and Keanu and Thomas Middleditch are trying and failing. They come home, the family is packing to go on vacation, and then the family dies. Like, we never have a chance to see mm -hmm. Alice Eve at work. We never have, a, like, a how was work today, honey, or whatever. Yeah, I think she's wearing scrubs, but, like, no one's going to notice that unless you Is know. she, though? They look like scrubs, but you, you're right, they might not be. Yeah, I think she's, like, a pediatrician or something, isn't she? I think they say that she has, Maybe. like, patients or something like that. You need a little bit more, because, like, by the end of the movie, she's like, let's go back to the lab, or let's go back to the hospital, or wherever she directs them to go, and then knows how and where to shock them. Yeah, defibrillator, like, how, how yeah, many, yeah. like, volts to use. Yeah, and they, they make a them. very, very big thing that, like, if we do this wrong, we're paralyzed for life or whatever, and she just gets it right. Like, I love that she is this take-charge, you know, powerful, smart woman, but as a storytelling device, we don't know that she's that until all of a sudden she has to be that and she is. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's not like Captain Marvel where she's just a normal person. She's like, oh, wait, no, I'm Captain Marvel, and then she's a superhero. Like, it's not like Alice was like, oh, wait, no, like, I know all of the science stuff. That's not how how this should work and it's just it's mind-boggling yeah it's not really set up that anybody really has much of a character trait except for you know Keanu and Thomas Middle just as characters who we spend most of our time with but even they kind of feel like stock caricatures like Keanu is Keanu so I'll always sort of project more onto him but I don't think I could really tell you like a lot about you know, William Foster, except for he's a devoted dad and like an obsessed scientist. And that seems to be like his only character traits. With the most on the nose family name that I don't, I don't think I even <laughs> realized the first time I watched it. But when tonight, when Thomas Middleditch enters their house, I guess he's house sitting or 
fish sitting or something when they're on vacation. And he says, <laughs> yeah. Olaf foster family. And I thought he was saying foster family as in like they had adopted him or something like he was going to go on vacation. Then I was like, oh no, their last name is Foster. And Keanu is basically bringing in these outsiders into his family. Like when he's recreating them as replicas, they are in a sense a foster family. And it is, it's almost unforgivable how on the nose that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also why it feels like 17 days is just like a number he picked out of a hat, right? Where he just walked into the other room, the, the screenwriter's just like, someone shout out a number. And someone's just like, I don't know, 17? And he's like, all right, good enough. And it's like, all right, we have to cook these clones for 17 days. And then he's like, I need another number. I don't know, three? All right, Keanu, you have three days to figure out how you're going to get these minds to work. You know, it just like parts of it just feels so random like that, that that doesn't matter. We just need to get through these scenes. And I think, like, in a movie, like, if Shane Carruth had written this movie, right, and it was this brilliant primer-esque dissertation on science and cutting-edge, you know, neuromedicine and stuff like that, like, I feel like those numbers would have merit. But it doesn't feel like there's any kind of the cred here to generate us being like, oh, I'm sure 17 means something. It's just like, oh, that just seems like a normal amount of time. That's how deep this gets. Like, it really doesn't go any further than that. Like, he is just mad scientist Keanu in this movie. And yeah. as far as, like, Middle Ditch, like, I... You know, I just like Middle Ditch and I'm familiar with his comedy and stuff. So, like, I'm bringing a lot to him, too. So I think, you know, that's kind of fortunate. Um, yeah. Otherwise, again, yeah, he's just the nervous, browbeaten partner for Keanu <laughs> to sort of lash out at and, and, and use and stuff. And he does, he gets shot in the head. He can't even be he can't yeah. even be cloned and redownloaded. It's, so that sucked. It's very sad what happens to him. They're, they're very rude to him. <laughs> this movie yeah i was gonna say like this i mean from everything i know about screenwriting which is not a lot but having like sat down and written a script it does feel like this is like a first draft and they were just like okay we gotta rush it into production let's just go with what the first draft says because it almost feels like they didn't they made that first pass and they just didn't go back and like connect dots because they were like oh well i'll put this in there and maybe we'll go back and change it later and they just didn't have time or something which at times is weird because i feel like it strains but parts of it come together in really odd ways that work sometimes like you wouldn't expect a lot of these elements to work together and they don't but like for instance like the my favorite scene the one we touched on earlier joey i know you love this too but like when they throw in the situation that the kids haven't been to school and the mom hasn't been to work and Keanu has to cover for everybody. It's like, well, that's a scene that needs to happen in this movie, right? So, like, they find a way to get it in there somehow. Like, it's brief, it's hilarious, and it stands <laughs> out, right? But and, and it totally flips the tone, but it's there. Yeah, I think that, that weird tone was kind of what made me enjoy this movie because it would just it would flip so wildly from like serious like mad scientist stuff and then it's like oh no i've got a cover though they've got the flu you know <laughs> oh that's why they haven't been to work in you know two weeks or whatever i love keanu cock blocking his daughter <laughs> as he's messaging her bay when he doesn't google like i just i want that scene to be like 45 minutes long because <laughs> when he turns her phone on it's like 58 missed voicemails and or 58 missed voicemails voice calls or whatever and like 124 new texts just like i want to see him responding to everything and i also want to see him having to cover up 
Like, I feel like this should not be the movie that I think that I want to see based on the movie that they actually, you know, wanted to make. But I agree that I want to see, like, a goofy version where he's having to erase their memories because things aren't working out right. Almost like Happy Death Day, Mike, where it's like, you know, I think I can <laughs> solve it, but I, I didn't. But, like, they get the milk and the milk is bad. She's like, I just want the milk. He's like, oh, they sold us rotten milk. It's like, why? Uh, <laughs> like, there's, like, I, I love the idea that he's got such crazy pressure on him to figure out how to transfer the consciousness of his dead family into these new clones right and he's got such pressure on him to do all that that he doesn't remember to like buy new milk or probably take out the garbage or stuff like just like the comedy of errors that this movie could be it's not what the movie wants me to think about but i agree with you patrick i just love those scenes because they feel so tonally out of place yeah it's weird and i'll be honest like i don't love the invasive scenes where he's like going through people's stuff and like you know i don't know like like you said like cock blocking his daughter i'm a little bit like oh that's iffy i don't know like if you think about it for more than a second you're like oh a grown man talking to these you know young kids it's like weird in its own way but i agree that there like should have been i guess i longed for a little more coherence in that tone of like yeah this is goofy like why is the movie not fully acknowledging like how goofy it could be it's also weird that you hire an actor like thomas middleditch who's this acclaimed improviser and you know the star of one of the more popular and more critically acclaimed comedies of today in silicon valley and you know longtime comedy bang bang guest and you know he's got you know middleditch and schwartz and he's got all these you know he's got all these comedy accolades and he has nothing amusing to do and i can see sort of this as like a, oh i want to be a more serious actor i want to be like in a sci-fi movie i want to sort of you know go to that next level or whatever i want to work with keanu that's what this feels like like i could work with keanu reeves yeah i'll do whatever but i just don't know how he like (laughs) like you could he could be in a more serious movie and still like have jokes and stuff like well he's like the sidekick Mm -hmm. like this character again is like nothing new like i even think keanu had a guy like this in the beginning a chain reaction that exploded you know and then he you know goes on the run and stuff but like this this guy's in every he's in you know this character is in like every movie about science i feel and like yeah you know it just happened to be middle ditch this time and they really just they took him out of the lab and they made him a sidekick for the whole movie i think they actually play off each other rather well i'll be honest i don't keanu gets a little I almost feel like I see him about to break, like to start laughing or something at the end of a shot, maybe. Like, I'm not saying it's right for the character, but I just like the energy between the two of them. I imagine this was a lot of fun to shoot. Like, I imagine that because Keanu seems like an affable, good guy. Like, we've heard a lot of stories about that. And Thomas Middleton is obviously pretty fun. And I think that the premise of all of this is crazy enough that like coming to work every day and like making this movie unless it like the director or like the production or whatever was like hell i can see this being like a really kind of fun set and like just enjoying coming to work and so i can see what you're saying mike in terms of keanu just about trying to like just trying not to break trying not to laugh but i really wonder if while they were on set they were like this is this is good guys yeah i i will say like i don't know having been on film sets and like working as a crew member on movies like it's hard to know if a movie's good or not when you're making it a lot of times like it's really really hard but i can definitely see that like their energy was probably a lot of fun and they probably had a lot of fun doing it and like you know if you like what you were saying with with middle ditch like if you get to work with keanu reeves and also you get to go to puerto rico and like film in this you know beautiful countryside like i don't know anybody who wouldn't do that and like i also 
think that Thomas Middleditch might be actually playing this same exact character in uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. Oh yeah. Coming out this summer. So, <laughs> so yeah, he, he may have a niche now. He may just start playing this character exclusively. Who knows? Can we talk about the greatest line in this movie is after Keanu tells Alice Eve that she's a replica and she takes it surprisingly well. And then they go out Christmas shopping, Christmas tree shopping, and her son is like staring at this tree and she says, no, I hate those ones. They are fake about the tree, but also, of course, about her children. And man, like that is, that's wild. That's a wild thing to write in the script. I didn't pick up on that, but I see it now and I like it a lot, Joey. That reminds me back in Mazes and Monsters, where Tom Hanks is being driven to school by his bickering parents, and he tells his dad, you've got to make this right, and he means Mm -hmm. make this right-hand turn, but also make this right between mom and yourself before I'm done here. And and yeah, wow, you've been just going deep, and I love it. I'm picking up on those double entendres, whether they're meant or not. So, the story and screenplay for this movie was developed at Keanu Reeves and Stephen Hamill's production company, Company Films. Hamill writes the majority of all the stories produced there. This was this is a direct quote from Wiki. The film received very negative reviews from critics who criticized the writing, plot holes, and acting, semicolon, it also became a commercial failure. So it's like, not only did critics hate it, but audiences didn't see it. Budget of $30 million, grossed $4 million in North America, another $4 million around the world. Um, the worst wide release opening of Keanu's career. And after its terrible opening weekend, where it made like $2.5 million, it had an 81.5% drop from first week and the second weekend, which is the ninth worst second week drop of all time. So obviously, you know, movies... Unless you're Crazy Rich Asians, movies drop off pretty precipitously after the first week. But this one, one of the worst in history, because the people who did see it were like, no, 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 don't see this in theaters. This will be on VOD very soon. Yeah, I know. We were pretty shocked, not only by how long it took to get out, because we had heard about this movie a while ago, you know, and when we were like, where's Replicas? We actually thought it would be out by the end of our original run of Keanu Club. Yeah. And... We had we never thought it was going to reach theaters though. Like that to me is just like the biggest shock. Like that they actually spent the money to to, to distribute this uh, across the nation instead of just right you know beam it right into the homes VOD style. Well, I feel like I don't know if this is just because it's the kind of projects that he makes or because this is a coincidence. But there's been a handful of things that have been on Keanu's IMDb page since before we started this podcast in April 2016. But like rain and rally car and replicas and stuff that like years and years after they were announced still haven't come out which is wild yeah it's interesting it feels like that's more and more the case now when i've actually worked on a few movies um that john travolta has shot here in alabama where i live and those i think one of them just finally came out this year and we shot it like in 2017 but it's it seems like i remember him having a discussion with someone about distribution and it was more about like they shot that movie and then it just sort of like hung around and wasn't getting distributed by anybody and they just had to like find someone to sell it to to distribute it so it may be like a distribution thing like if you're i don't know like the way people are shooting things now they're just like shooting stuff and being like where can we get it distributed to because there's so many different avenues for distribution and it's not the same sort of like i don't know if it's not a studio project they're not going to get it distributed right away so uh, i don't know it seems like there are like big stars who will shoot movies and then just have them hanging around like that yeah that kind of reminds me of like sometimes when these movies with like ben affleck pop up on netflix and you're like wait a minute like 
he never had a movie go anywhere but theaters but here it is it's not that it's on demand but it's on you know netflix like it just seems like a little better i want to say maybe maybe not i don't know but like that could have been a thing like maybe they were trying to get this to go to netflix where it is just a little more respectable now anyway than going straight to you know all the video on demand sort of market well i think that's you know that's something that people criticize nicholas cage for a lot that he's the you know everything he does goes to vod which and we're always pleasantly surprised when we get to go to an actual theater and see one of his movies but you know like everybody has movies go to vod now everybody has movies go straight to netflix or straight to hulu or amazon or you know it's just it's not a bad thing anymore because people are going to the movies less than ever and there's more ways to distribute than ever and just because something isn't in theaters doesn't mean it's not good it's just yeah. the way that whether you're an independent studio or you're you know a studio that for whatever reason doesn't want to market them who knows why why things happen the way they happen because there's a million different ways but you know a movie going to vod is not a bad thing but then on the other side of the coin you have a movie like this where it probably should have you know mike like you were saying like we thought it was going to and then they pay like 15 million dollars to market this movie and it just it just flops and it's just it's strange like it's it's weirder to see a movie like this go to theaters than see like a ben affleck movie or or something show up on Netflix like why why didn't you just kind of not take the loss but you know spend less money to to market it and just put it out there and just see what happens yeah and I also feel like there's almost developed or, or there's kind of like I don't want to call it like a cult market but like there's a lot of stuff on demand that is just like what the hell like there's just you could really get lost in like a rabbit hole on like Amazon Prime or something and just find like crazy weird shit that just gets released straight to video that you know was made recently and stuff and i feel like this is just more like would maybe be more enjoyable or understood as like a straight to video sort of movie you find just like you know looking around i just feel like it lends itself more to that sort of vibe stream it from home watch it with friends and just like get a kick out of it yeah i feel that vibe too it definitely seems like the kind of movie that would do that something that we find on Redbox or something like that because i'm yeah. i'm always going to Redbox when i when i go to the grocery store and like you know there's all kinds of weird stuff that you find on there you're like whoa this movie with you know these three big stars on there never heard of that's about them like driving speedboats or whatever like here <laughs> didn't even know that existed and i feel like this is the kind of movie like the poster and the marketing that's like built for Redbox, kind of where it's you know keanu mm -hmm. reeves face and a robot's face and a cool <laughs> title and like kind of cool you know like that blue color and it's just like wait what, what, wait what is this movie i'll pay two or three bucks for this sure and then even if you don't like it it's like that was weird that was what drew me into destination wedding i was like oh keanu and winona in a movie together like i'll pay a, i'll pay a dollar to see that that sounds like that sounds great yeah there's something between like destination wedding like definitely great to see him with winona again and then with this it's like i feel like one of Keanu's strongest genres has been sci-fi and you know they're not all the Matrix but I still like stuff like Johnny Mnemonic and I hear Keanu sci-fi you know replicas like I'm interested already like I feel like he would, he does well in this genre so Patrick do you have any other thoughts about replicas that you want to mention or any thoughts about you know Keanu Reeves as an actor uh, because you know we would love to have you on other podcasts of ours but this one you know we have a couple movies coming out this year which we know we're going to come out this summer like John Wick 3 Power Bellum is very very soon we have our john wick expert on there we have a toy story 4 coming up but like keanu doesn't have a whole ton of movies lined up like you know he's we don't have a ton of keanu movies coming up and uh, i just want to give you your your opportunity patrick to you know any last thoughts about this movie or about keanu or you know anything that we we haven't covered yet so far tonight no i i honestly like you know i enjoy the robo keanu mo moments in this movie too because i 
I don't think we've talked a lot about Robo Keanu, but I like that there is a, a robotic Keanu Reeves at the end of this movie. Potentially, like, maybe a more interesting story if you continued the the narrative, but, like, I kind of like that in this movie where he's just like, you know, you're me and you're a robot. You know, like, let's, you know, let's kick some ass or whatever. Like, he's <laughs> basically uses the robot as muscle at the end of the movie, and I, I think that's pretty funny. Oh, man, the first time I saw this, I was so lost in why he was able to transfer his consciousness to the robot and make it stick as opposed to the soldiers that went crazy and it's because he figured out like he wrote some algorithm that yeah. tricked the robot mm-hmm. into believing he was in his own body it's like i'm i couldn't believe i caught that again this time i was like wow that's amazing i can't believe they snuck that techno babble bullshit in there which you know if you think about it like what we don't see before the movie begins is that they've been struggling and i think what we're led to believe is that in the opening scene where they put the guy's consciousness into subject 345 like that's the first time it's ever even gotten this far but they're so confused i think by him freaking out like who am i where am i what am i I think maybe just was the first thing that came into my head or whatever, but it feels like, oh yeah, like if you looked down and your arms were robot arms, you would freak out. Like even if you knew that <laughs> you were you, you would be like, what is happening here? And like, you you know, you would freak out. And I feel like it takes so long for them to be like, oh, maybe if we trick the brain into thinking that, you know, it actually it's, is it's you. It's in its body, yeah. And it's, but it's, what's, what's weird, the way that the movie sets this up is weird is that like, it feels like the difficult part is realizing why the robot's freaking out and not how to solve for that. Like, it feels like, oh, once we figure that out, like, we can just do 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 and we're good. Because he ends up figuring it out by p- placing his hand on Alice Eve clone and getting sort of like a, uh, a reading from her brainwaves. And by doing that, he's like, oh, so that's why the robots weren't accepting their new bodies. And I said, like, wait, how did he make that connection? Like, I get the connection, but he jumped there from like nowhere, which was incredible. Oh, boy, oh, boy. It does require some like large leaps and logic. And, and a lot of the techno babble here is, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of nonsense. They're talking about like amino acids and all this stuff. And it's like, it, it's fine. It's whatever. Like, I don't even think that they had to explain it that much like it's a goofy sci-fi premise i probably would have bought it anyway i'd have been like yeah sure like he just made a robot of himself like if he woke up as a robot he wouldn't freak out because he would know what was going on because he's been working on this for however long so it's almost like part of his personality at that point he's like the perfect test subject (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's like oh yeah we're back doing this thing again yeah i remember this mike any any thoughts mike about replicas Oh yeah, so aside from that, definitely that robot stuff, I'm full agreement with everything, but there were there were just two moments in here that I loved, just, I shouldn't have, but they were just made me so happy. So first of all, when he calls Middleditch after the accident, like he just has like his family on the side of the road, like spread out, like dead on the side of the road, like by the lake and stuff. And he's doing like downloading their brains, like right there, yeah. like in the open, like in the dirt. And I'm like, that's yeah. amazing. Like they just don't give a shit like where <laughs> they're doing this. Um, and then the other moment is when he's downloading his own mind. He's in the bathroom stall and then Braga like comes in and oh. like, this is, the, this is the worst acting in the entire movie. <laughs> oh, I fucking love that. Like, I was like, why did they put... It, it had to be for comedic effect, but it's such, like, a pivotal moment in the movie that he needs to do this that why would they... Oh, my God. I just... It, it just made my mind snap. I loved it. There are such awkward silences between... Not only between lines, but between words within the lines. And it all feels like ADR, and it all feels 
disjointed, but it's also like, you're right, like, this is a very important scene where Keanu is in the process of downloading his consciousness to create Robo-Keanu, and why is it happening? Why at all? I guess because he's flexing his I'm the boss card, but, like, if you go in the bathroom and see someone is sitting on the toilet, why do you start a conversation with them? Yeah, that's that's a wild thing to do. I don't understand anything, anything about this thing. <laughs> why didn't Keanu go into, like, the janitor's closet? Like, he should have been, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the roof. Like, he needed to be somewhere where he wouldn't be interrupted, and, like, people use the bathroom all day long, you know? So it's like, yeah. dude. And, it, again, it's not very sanitary. You're doing a mind download in a toilet. Yeah, he's stabbing himself in the eye over a toilet. Like, it's, <laughs> it did make me cringe a little bit. I was like, oh, no, that's, oh, so unsanitary, so bad for you you better wash that out very thoroughly (laughs) get the antiseptic (laughs) oh man well patrick thank you so much for joining us on this episode of replicas why don't you tell our listeners about i guess about loose cannons because there's still a whole lot of episodes that people can listen to but also your new podcast fancy film fellows and how often that comes out and where people can find that and all that sort of good stuff absolutely well um we're a weekly podcast at least that's what we're shooting for right now um we've got a few episodes out uh we're at fancyfilmfellows.com you can also find the loose cannons feed i believe it's still up on itunes and uh the fancy film fellows feed will be coming online soon you can also tweet at us at at fancy film pod if you feel so inclined Cool. We will link to all of that from our uh, episode page on cageclub.me. But a thank you again for joining us here. I look forward to talking to you and to Ruben and to your other hosts at some point on some podcast. I really am fascinated. I mean, the, the thing that I'm most fascinated by is why Ruben loves Fate of the Furious as much as he does. I don't I don't want to know now. I'm, we're going to talk to him next lap on Too Fast, Too Forever. But that for that to be like his favorite of the 2010s or the 2000s or whatever it's like it's a it's a wild choice or one of his favorites but um i keep saying wild tonight but i just this movie has blown my mind like i don't have any other words i think watching replicas for a second time has rendered me speechless without synonyms and stuff but but again patrick thank you so much for joining us yeah no problem it was great it was fun so for all things Keanu Club, and we'll have a couple more episodes this year at least, we can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us. Actually, I need to see. Do we have email here? I don't think that we do, but we might. I think it's just mailbag. It's just mailbag. No emails today. Email mailbag at cageclub.me. We'll read it on the uh, John Wick episode or the Toy Story episode or whatever else he's got coming out this year. Go to cageclub.me and see our our threadless page and also our Patreon page. And, you know, just let us know you're listening and follow us places and, you know, check out our new shows mike and i have every friday we're either doing a tom cruise or a tom hanks movie you know every other tuesday i'm doing too fast too forever and then a third of the month every month mike is doing third times a charm so there's lots of stuff that you can check out all at cageclub.me we've got 25 shows just let us know that you're listening i hope you enjoyed i hope you watched replicas i guess no we'll see you for john wick i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and that was patrick williams of the fancy film fellows podcast and we'll see you next time probably for john wick 3 right here on keanu club sequence.